Now with Romans chapter 12 and this idea of genuine love as a backdrop, we move on now to Romans chapter 13 where Paul dials it in even more specifically and addresses the responsibilities of Christians to the government. Now only the Lord could set this up to where this week we happen just to be right here with Romans chapter 13. And this teaching is vital in light of the political season in which we find ourselves. And here's what I love. In this text, we find how we can glorify God through this election process. And through the way that we relate today and always to our governing authorities. Now doesn't this sound fun? Some of you like, you're going to step on my toes today. Yes ma'am, yes sir. Stand with me, Romans chapter 13, as we read the Word of God. We can begin in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. On the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I want to teach on two main aspects of this text, namely, number one, our assignment as believers, our assignment, and then I want to address God's authority, our assignment and God's authority, and I'll deal with these respectively this morning. As we consider our assignment, this place where I'm going to begin, it's kind of like putting one of those huge pills in your mouth. It's supposed to make you feel better. And it's got that bitter taste and it's tough to swallow. But there's a second part to the message when I start talking about God's authority, which is like the water that you take that makes the pill a little bit easier to swallow. So hang with me, alright? Don't, don't tune me out on this first part because I've got really good news coming for you. So... We're talking about our assignment in relation to the governing authorities. Verse 1, Paul simply says this. Let every person, every person be subject to the governing authority. So our assignment as it concerns how we relate to our government is really simple. We are to subject to or obey the governing authorities. We are not to dishonor them. We are not to disrespect them. We are to pray for them, comply with them, and honor them. And this scripture is really easy to embrace. 
as long as your candidate's in office. Come on. Regardless of whether or not we like our president, governor, mayor, so on and so forth, the response for believers is still the same. We subject ourselves to the governing authorities. Now Paul is writing this letter to Christians who are at the very heart of the Roman Empire. And this letter was written about 57 AD, and a Roman historian by the name of Suetonius records that the Roman Emperor Claudius expelled Jews from Rome in AD 49. And scholars believe that the dispute is most likely over Christ, their faith, what they're preaching. It's disrupting things, and so they are forced to leave Rome. And Acts 18 verse 2 confirms the expulsion. Doesn't give us much detail outside of this. Look at it real quickly. Acts 18 verse 2. And he, talking about Paul, found a Jew named Aquila. A native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. By this point... This is now around uh, 57 A.D. There would have been Jews who would have trickled back in the city. And I tell you that for a very important reason. Because there had to be some resentment towards the government. I mean, their lives were extremely disrupted. And now they're being called on to honor those men who had previously forced them out of the city. So what are the implications of being subject to our governing authorities? What does Paul mean? Well, to begin with, one of the ways that we subject ourselves to our government is through contributing. Contributing. Now, though Paul would not have had this particular point that I'm about to share with you in mind, I believe that for us, in a government structure such as ours, that being subject would include being involved to a certain extent, at least, by voting. I I believe that's part of our, uh, you know, it's certainly a civil liberty, but it could be argued that as Christians, it's, it's a duty. I believe that we are to at least subject ourselves in that way. Dr. George Wood, who is the general superintendent of the Assemblies of God, writes this, quote, I sometimes wonder what the early Christians would think of the liberties we possess in this land and many times don't take advantage of. The early Christians to whom this letter was written had no opportunity to participate in their government. You have the chance in a society such as ours to participate and even to hold office in that government. What a treasure. And I think that being part of part of being subject as Christians is our involvement in the affairs of the government are concerned to be politically aware in a Christian kind of way to issues and to candidates. To become involved in the process to at a minimum vote and to a maximum ourselves be involved in the seeking or the holding of public office. It's part of being subject to the government, the Constitution of the United States, which allows us that privilege as free citizens, In quote. So I encourage you, exercise your right to vote. And please, don't just vote for party. Don't vote for gender. Pray. Please pray. 
you understand there's a lot at stake with this election that goes far beyond the personality. Pray and obey the Lord. The second implication in this statement, be subject to the governing authorities, is the call to obedience. Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities or doesn't obey what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Those are strong words. When we do not submit to our governing authorities, we will incur judgment. Friends, we will stand one day before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. And this is an exhortation to obey from the highest of laws to even what may seem to you trivial, like seatbelt laws or speed limits. Come on, somebody. You're like, I sinned on the way to church this morning. We're to comply. We're to obey. So then this begs the question, is there ever an exception to this call to obedience? And the answer is a resounding yes. Listen to me. Disobedience is only encouraged and permitted when an earthly authority asks you to do something that would contradict the Word of God. Because when that man or woman asks you to do something that is contrary to the Word of God... Their authority becomes seditious in the sense that they are putting themselves above God. And we don't answer ultimately to a king or to a president. We answer to God Himself. So that is the only exception when when we are asked to step out and do something that contradicts our faith. Then we have permission to disobey Many examples of this. You could go back to the Old Testament. You remember Daniel? This was his position. He was very respectful to the king until it contradicted his values and what God had asked him to do. Let me give you a New Testament example, one that you may not be as familiar with. Go with me to Acts chapter 5. Here's what's going on in this text. We read that Peter and the other apostles are taken before the high priest and the high council... And they're strongly warned, they're threatened not to teach in the name of Jesus. The apostles are threatened not to teach in the name of Jesus. Now that is quite contrary to the great commission that they're called to uphold. And look at Acts 5 verse 29. And here's Peter's answer. We must obey God rather than men. Amen? For me, and this may happen in this country the way it's going. If I'm ever told, preacher, you can't preach in the name of Jesus. Or you can't preach against certain sins because this is now considered a hate crime. I'll say this in front of you today with as much faith as I can muster up. That I'm preaching it. I've done prison ministry my whole life and I'll just do it from the other side of the bars. Don't get excited, Nikki. I will not perform... Certain marriages. I will perform traditional marriages to people who are equally yoked. The government cannot make me do it. And you can lock me up and throw away the key and I'll do what Paul did in prison. I'll preach to the guards and the other inmates. See, when when you're in Christ and your sufficiency is in Him and your joy is in Him, the world can't get you down. Amen? Because again, 
We don't ultimately trust in these governing authorities. We trust in a great God. Amen? He is a sure foundation. So, we're called to subject ourselves to those authorities by contributing and by obeying. And number three, by giving. He gives us four implications here of giving. We're to give of taxes, revenue, respect, and honor. Okay, we go to verse 7. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. And honor to whom honor is owed. So let's, let's deal with these very quickly. And talk about taxes. Let's go back up to verse 5. The Bible says that therefore one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes For the authorities are ministers of God. Boy, that makes you look at the IRS in a lot different way, doesn't it? (laughs) Ministers of God attending to this very thing. Paul calls the authorities ministers of God. Government is God's design. And I'll touch more on that a bit later. And taxes exist by God's design. And if taxes don't exist, government doesn't exist. So as Christians, we're not to look for loopholes, a way to avoid paying taxes. The Bible says we'll receive judgment for that. He will not bless you. We're to pay our taxes. And and, and the word taxes here denotes direct taxes. These would be placed upon people or upon property. But then he uses another word. It's the word revenue. And this would be indirect taxes. This would include fees for various services or customs. Let me give you an example. You go, let's say you take a cruise and you visit another country or you get on an airplane and you go to a foreign land and you find a really great deal on some jewelry, some watches, whatever it might be. And you come back to the States and when they ask you, do you have anything to declare, don't sew a little pocket on the inside of your jacket and be like, nope, I didn't buy a thing. You show them and say, yeah, here's what I bought. And you pay revenue where revenue is due. This next part is tough for some of us. Because it's more than just what we do, but it has to do with our attitude, our words, what we say. And that is respect. Don't miss this. The word that's used here in the Greek literally means fear. And it carries This idea of reverence. Our subjection goes way beyond outward compliance. And it has to do with our attitude. It has to do with respect. Friends, we must guard our mouths against calling our governing authorities, even when we don't agree with them, names. We must guard against poking fun at them. And I've done it and you've done it. Guard against talking about them in a degrading way. We must have respect for them. Now listen, even if they in and of themselves are not respectable people. It's not about the personality, it's about the position. Now it helps when the personality lines up with the respect that they're owed by position. But regardless, we are called to respect them. I don't know what you think of President Barack Obama. I don't, I don't agree with every decision he's made. But please, as a real follower of Jesus, 
Don't sit at home. Or please don't get on Facebook and tear him to pieces. What good does that do? It is not glorifying the God. And I'm sick of Christians doing it. And I'm going to tell you why this is such a big deal. It's, this is a grave concern to us as believers. God takes it very, very seriously. And I just wonder... I wonder how many of us Christians who complain and complain and put down and put down, how many of us really pray daily like we're called to do for our leaders? Maybe they wouldn't make some of the decisions that they made if we would lay on our face before the Lord and pray for them. We're to respect them. And then he goes on to use, he uses the word honor. And it's likely here that when Paul exhorts us to pay honor where honor is due, that he means for us to even respect the lower officials who are in office. Okay? This means don't just respect the... Because when he's talking about respect, the word he uses there would be for the higher authorities. But honor, the way it's used here, is most likely referring to other officials. And this trickles all the way down, not just to even mayors, but to your police officers. So what is our assignment? It's to obey, to pray for, to respect our governing authorities. And when we don't, there are consequences. So here's this. What's our motivation for all this? If it's not that we love their policies, what's the motivation? Well, Peter helps us with this. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Peter 2 and verse 13. Be subject. He uses the same word here. For, what's that say? The Lord's sake. Say it again. What's it say? The Lord's sake. Do you understand the, the implication here? It's not because of the one in authority. It's for the Lord. Be subject to them. Respect them. Give. Pay taxes. All these things. Not because of the government. Ultimately because of the Lord. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Let's go down to verse 17. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Couldn't be any clearer, could it? We subject ourselves to governing authorities out of love and reverence for God. And I've got to move quickly here. See, there's a deeper assignment than just obeying. And here's what it is. It's to trust the Lord. That's what God's really asking us to do. Trust the Lord. And this moves me to my second point. We've looked at our assignment. Let's look at God's authority. Go back to verses 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. Watch this. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Don't take this lightly. Here's the point I want to make. God sets in place government and those who govern without exception. Let's begin here. God has ordained government generally, okay? Look at verse 3. Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear for the one who is in authority? Do what is good and you will receive his approval. 
For he's God's servant for you, for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he's the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you pay taxes to the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Now, Paul does, does not mean here that all government rewards good behavior and punishes bad because he understands what happened to Jesus. Jesus was not treated fairly or kindly or justly when brought before Pilate. Jesus, the only perfect man to ever walk this earth, was punished like a hardened criminal. So we know that Paul's not saying that this always happens. Paul's point is not that government is perfect. We know it's not. We live in a fallen world. It's tainted because of sin. Government is tainted because of sin. But here's the point. Civil authority is God's design. He established it and He sustained it. He sustains it, I should say. Amen? Genuinely, the idea of government is God's design. And you may say, well, I just don't like the government. Think of the alternative. It's anarchy. We don't want that. So government, by design, it's God's idea. It's His will. He's ordained it. And we are to submit to that government, not out of allegiance or reverence towards those authorities, but our allegiance and reverence for God. Amen? Alright, so God has generally ordained government. Here's where it gets hard to, to understand and, and for people to really get this and grasp this. God has set in place those who govern past, present, and future. Is He sovereign or not? Look at verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no... It doesn't say most authorities. It says there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And again, your candidate gets in office, you're going to say, see, it was the will of God. But what about when your candidate doesn't get elected? Does God ordain that as well? Absolutely. So this begs the question... Does this include evil or wicked pagan leaders? What do you think? Absolutely. Let's confirm this with the Scripture. Remember a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar who was the king of Babylonia who was most known, most famous for his destruction of Jerusalem. Oppressing God's people. Surely he wasn't put in place by God, was He? Yes, He was. Look at Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you've not obeyed My words, He says to His people, Behold, I'll send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, My servant. What do you do with that? He's pagan, but the Lord calls him His servant. He has a purpose for him. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. God used this pagan king as an instrument of judgment on the people of Judah for their disobedience. You say, well, that's just one example. Okay, let's, let's move on. You remember the name Jeroboam? 
This man was an extremely wicked king. He was the first king of the divided northern kingdom and he led his people into horrendous idolatry. Was he set in place by God? According to the Bible, yes. Look at 1 Kings 11.31. Talking here about Jeroboam, it says, And he, the prophet, said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give you, I'll do it, God says, I'll give you ten tribes. Well, pastor, that's Old Testament. Okay, well, let's move across to the new. What about Pilate, the ruler who punished Jesus, the most innocent man to ever walk the earth? Did God give him that authority, according to Jesus? Go with me to the book of John, chapter 19 and verse 10. So Pilate says to Jesus, you will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? He's talking to Jesus. And Jesus answered him, and I love this. <laughs> you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You just remember that. These people who are... God is not mocked. Do you understand that? These people who think they're in authority now are only in any... have any measure of authority because it's been given to them by Jesus Christ. They only are in their position. They're only able to do what they do because of God Himself. And God is not mocked. In the end, this is the great news about being a Christian. We're on the winning team. Amen? So God sets in place government and those who govern without exception. And just real quickly, let's think logically about this. Why would God put a pagan leader in office? Could it be that simply a nation gets the leaders it deserves? Now, I'm not speaking this prophetically, but just logically and just reading the Bible. Could it be with America we're getting who we deserve either way? When we have shaken our fist at God and said, God, we don't want you in our schools. God, we don't want you. We don't want to follow your laws. We don't need you. I mean, we needed you in the beginning, but we've got it from here. And we've shaken our fist at God and we are reaping what we have sown. Could it be that we're getting what we deserve? God may raise up a wicked government to bring about judgment against the nation. And I pray it's not so. For America. I love this country and I, I pray that God, through this, whoever this next leader is, that He would lead us to repentance as a nation. That we would recognize once again how do we make America great again? It's by getting on our knees and recognizing that we need Jesus Christ. Here's what we know for sure God's ways are higher than our ways, His thoughts higher than our thoughts. Who are we? To understand the purposes of God. God's sovereign. He establishes and de-establishes de or disestablishes rather kings and kingdoms. So we subject to governing authorities out of reverence for God. We honor them not because we necessarily like them or agree with every policy. But because we honor the Lord and we ultimately trust His purposes. This doesn't mean that you can't address issues and policies. 
We should talk about those things. But we should do so respectfully and understand that we shouldn't expect lost people to act like Christian people. Preach the truth with grace. Amen? Preach it with love. Let me just get real practical in my closing. Dina, if you could come. On Wednesday, when it's the election's said and done, and your candidate, whichever side you're on, doesn't get an office, and you go online, and you get on Facebook, and you go, you idiots, you voted for, insert candidate there. Here's what you're doing, according to the Scripture. God, you idiot. You put this candidate in place. That's severe. Severe. It doesn't mean that... How could you say that if this person gets in? How could you say, Pastor, that, that, that God did this? It could be for any of them. I, who am I? All I know is what the Bible teaches. And I know that God establishes kingdom and disestablishes kingdom. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I just believe that. You don't have to agree with me, but I would I, I pray that you'll take your Bible and scour it and, 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 and I, I have my wife can tell you I haven't been attentive to her and my family a lot this week. I repent for that, by the way. Because I've been in I, I said, Lord, I want to say this right now. I didn't just pull this off the Google or um, you know, sermoncentral.com where I get most of my sermons. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> so here's the, here's the thing. Guys, this is serious business. And here, here's my heart for you as your pastor. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you if I can. I'm going to warn you to do something that you're going to answer for. And here's, here's how we approach this election. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so before you post something on Facebook or before you make a phone call or make a joke or whatever it might be, here's what you ask before you hit that post button, is this glorifying to God? Is this most glorifying to God? Is this going to bring you glory? And if you can honestly answer yes, it might be okay. You can do it with a clear conscience. But if for a moment you think maybe this isn't going to bring Jesus glory, don't, don't, don't put it on Facebook. Don't say it. Run from it. Get on your knees and say, God, take these ungodly thoughts out of my life. See, we've been talking about authentic Christianity. And I just don't believe that, that real followers of Jesus want to act in a way that dishonors the name of the Lord. And so we have this teaching today, and I just feel a strong warning in it. I, I feel like this is from the Lord as I was preparing. Warn the people. Do not respond in an ungodly way. Do not dishonor authority, period. We're going to end on a really high note here, I promise you. This has been tough to preach. Thank you for being gracious. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus, talking to His disciples, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Our allegiance is to King Jesus. Here's our hope. Ultimately, I'll say it again, presidents don't rule, kings don't rule. Ultimate authority belongs to Jesus Christ. And we'll leave you with this, Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Now look at verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him has endured the cross, despising the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What do we do on November 9th? No matter who gets voted in the office, we keep running the race we're called to run. No matter who gets elected, we remember we don't ultimately look to them. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So how can we be discouraged? That's, that's really what I want to just encourage you with. Don't be discouraged on Wednesday if your person doesn't get an office. How can we be despaired when we serve the eternal ruler? We serve the all-powerful Lord. How can we be in despair? We serve Jesus, the one who laid down His life as a ransom for many. His reign shall last forever. And here's, get this, final sentence. His reign we can trust.